Welcome to episode 57 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lombas. And we are recording at my house in 7th Ward, New Orleans, up by the racetrack. It's been a long Memorial Day weekend. Did a lot of ridiculous shit. I went to this like fashion exhibit at Noma. Ooh, what's it called? It's like a very... The Queen Within. The Queen Within, yeah. yeah. How long is that going to be there? It's gone already. I think no. Memorial Day was the last day. Damn it. Which I drug myself hungover out there after... The night before, we went to this ridiculous thing called Chokehole, which was a drag pro wrestling hybrid. Like all your dreams come true. Those are like my two favorite things in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they had this like really great setup where the entrances that were like the wrestling, pro wrestling entrances into the ring were the drag routines. (laughs) So like they did a whole lip sync to their entrance music. And then there'd be like a sort of a short match after both characters did their own like intros. Yes. Really great, ridiculous, filthy time. I saw some things that were like... Basically stripping, not necessarily anything to do with were drag they, or wrestling. Um, I know drag queen. Were there any women? Most matches, I think, were one drag king and one drag queen. So oh, it was a, a that's really very good cool. mix. Yeah, someone did a routine to the Franz Kafka musical from uh, Home Movies. Oh, and that cartoon. Yeah, they were okay. dressed up like a bug, and they did like the whole <laughs> bug song from that TV show. Uh, it was just like a really beautiful thing. And then hung over the next day, I went to the museum for three hours. Aww. And all these like Alexander McQueen and Vivian Westwood dresses and stuff. I'm so disappointed in myself because I always, I'm that kind of person that I'm like, oh, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. It's been there for over a month. Mm-hmm. And I didn't bring my ass there and now it's gone. Yeah, I barely made it in the last day. So I'm the same kind of procrastinator with that kind of stuff. I have a friend that went and got like the book. Oh, I should have gotten the book. Yeah, there was a book. <laughs> it was like a $60 book or something That's like that. That's not a book, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just going to read it yeah. and not hate myself as much. Well, A Queen Within is gone, but Chokehole has one more <laughs> showing this weekend. I really want to go, because didn't you say there were Chiwis too? Yeah, they were supposedly sponsored oh. by Chiwis. Um, so there's just free chiwis everywhere. Well, it's one of the like trashier snacks and it seems like a very trashy event, which I love. And Elmer's chiwis is like a New Orleans specific snack, which is kind of funny too. Also, they had this whole storyline where the entire wrestling show was a thousand years into the future Hmm. and, uh, the winners of the matches got a lifetime supply of chiwis (laughs) and the losers had to work in the chiwis factory and they only got one free bag of chiwis a week. Oh no. But they did get good health benefits. So everyone was kind of a winner. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely try to make it out this Saturday. It's really fun. But um, what have you been watching movie wise lately? One that I watched that I, it was very, um, I don't even know why I selected it and I was very surprised that I liked it. Um, But it's called Tale of Tales. That was one of my favorite movies of 2016. Really? That was in my top five. Why don't I remember that? I don't know. <laughs> Shit. I'm so actually, sorry. It actually made both mine and Allie's list that year, so it was our number six for Swamplex's top movies that year. I don't remember that at all. Well, okay, so it played in New Orleans for like a week. What? And then it disappeared. So I got to see it on the big screen. Oh. Uh, but now it's on Netflix, finally. So it's you got to see that big flea? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Really beautiful costumes and monsters and all kinds of stuff. It's such a great movie. Like, I didn't, um, I hadn't heard of it, but I probably have heard of it because you talked about it. <laughs> Maybe it was like just chilling in the back of my mind. I don't know what's wrong with me. 
but I just kind of put it on and then I'm like, oh God, it's it's stupid long. It's like over two hours for sure. And I'm like, what are you doing, Brittany? What are you getting yourself into? And I put it on like right before I went to bed on like a work night and I just stayed up all night because I couldn't like stop watching it. I think I even like held in my pee so I didn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically it's a film that is loosely based off of three Italian fairy tales. Um, one where there's a queen played by Salma Hayek and a king played by John C. Riley, And the queen and king cannot procreate. So they're trying to have a child and they make a deal with a necromancer. And basically they have to slay a aquatic dragon. A sea beast. Sea beast. And eat its heart. And, um... Before she eats it, it has to be prepared by a virgin. Like, there's all these, like, weird little rules. Like, it's not even worth having a baby at this point, for sure. But um, a virgin, like, cooks it, and she, like, inhales some of it. So she gets pregnant, but the sea beast, too. So they have these um, sea beast albino twins separately. (laughs) And the boys are, like, very, like, obsessed with each other. And the queen's just, like, jealous and mean. So that's pretty exciting. But I do want to mention, so John C. Riley, this is kind of a serious role that he plays in. And he there's a couple of movies where he has these serious roles. Um, like in um, We Need to Talk About Kevin, he's the dad. And it's a movie about like a kid that kind of shoots up a school with an arrow. We're doing that movie next episode, me and James. Oh, God. It's, it's one of my favorite books. You introduced me to that movie. It's great. Yeah, it is great. It made me really not want to have kids. <laughs> But he's in there, and it's so weird because I will always see him as Steve Brule with his face, like, stained in, like, sweet berry wine, acting like an idiot. And it's it's just, it still kind of cracks me up every time I see him doing something serious, like the, slaying a sea beast. One of the greatest things New Orleans has ever done is have him come down to be the king of Bacchus. Yeah. So he was oh, literally yeah. the king of wine one year. Like, <laughs> so great. Sweet berry. And the thing is, like, there's this story going on, and there's another one called um, The Old Woman, which is about this horny king that loves sleeping with everybody, and he hears a maiden singing, and he's like, oh, wow, she sounds super hot. So it's actually, like, an 80-year-old lady that lives with her 80-year-old sister, and they don't want the king to, like, know that they're old. So they're like, oh, come back in two weeks, and I'll show you my finger through this hole. And they just like cover it in wax. They try to make it look as youthful as possible. And then the old lady like ends up going away with the king at night where she's like kind of hidden and all wrapped up. And he wakes up after sleeping with her and is like, oh shit, sunlight hits her. And he thinks there's like an old witch in his bed. So he throws her out the window and she gets breastfed by a witch in the woods and becomes young. So that's one of the other stories. And then the last story, which is out of everything I've said, I think this one might be the most disturbing. It's called The Flea. And it is about a king who develops an obsession with this little flea that falls on him while his daughter's um, playing. Is she sing- she be singing or playing a violin or something like that? She's doing something musical. Some kind of concert. Yeah. Trying to be like, daddy, look at me. Like she just wants him to like look at her and be like, oh God, you're everything. You're great. Um, but he's so obsessed with this little flea bouncing all over him and he becomes super obsessed with it and the flea just keeps getting bigger and bigger and then it's like the size of like a medium dog and the flea dies and he becomes like super depressed and he has it skinned and his thing is oh I'm gonna hang up the skin and then I'm gonna have all these men from all over the kingdom come in 
and try to guess what animal it comes from. And whoever gets it right gets to marry my daughter. And the one guy that gets it right is this, like, nasty-ass ogre. Yeah, he's like a giant. He just sniffs it. He's like, flee. <laughs> um, and then his daughter gets taken away with him to his cave in a mountain. It's very, very insane. That's the most fucked up segment of that, the three. Yeah, ooh, especially there's this, whenever she starts to, like, fight him and stuff, and there's, like, chunks of his head missing. Yeah, it's disgusting. Oh, it's so gross. The whole thing's kind of like a horror anthology. Yeah. And but it's, it's like a fantasy movie. Exactly. Like horror fantasy. Yeah. And it all kind of... It reminds me of those... You remember those like sexy horror fantasy calendars that would come out at Spencer's and Hot Topic? I do not remember that. Okay. I had a couple. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Fantasy Realm. Or um, like Heavy Metal Magazine. Kind of reminds me of that, but like more that, medieval. Like that one scene in... Uh, Deathgasm, where they're on like the top of the mountain with the giant sword. Yes, very similar to that Deathgasm scene. Um, but it's cool how all these three are happening. Kind of, it's in the same universe at the same time period, and at the end, they all like intertwine with each other, um, which is really cool. And I like how like there was three that was chosen to do this. Like I think one more would have been too much, and one less would have been boring. Mm-hmm. And it's just cool how each one kind of explores like obsession selfishness and selfishness like you know the whole flea situation this guy like this king kind of just like runs himself to the ground from obsessing over a flea loses his daughter these old women will do anything to be young and there's one i forgot to mention this but i think out of all of it the thing that disturbed me the most was after the this one of the sisters the older sisters um becomes young her other sister's like what did you do i want to do it And instead of being like, oh, like a witch breastfed me and I became young again and telling her the truth, she tells her sister she was flayed. So then her sister goes get her fucking self flayed in the woods. And then she's just walking around like all like just skinless and bloody. Did you recognize the actress under all that makeup? No. It's Shirley Henderson, who I love. Shirley Henderson. She's a British actress with like a really tiny voice. And she has that same squeaky voice in a bunch of movies. Uh, I know recently we've talked about two movies she was in. Uh, she was in Okja. She's like the assistant to Tilda Swinton's character. Oh. And she's also in all three Bridget Jones movies where her wigs just get bigger and bigger and bigger every movie. Oh, she's her friend. <laughs> yeah. She's she, always drunk. Yep. Okay. Oh my God. I love her. Yeah, and she's really great as like one of the old older sisters in this film. They both have very like squeaky voices, but hers is a little squeakier. Very cool. But I really, really like this movie. And like I said, I didn't expect to like it. I just kind of put it on because the um, the cover of it looked pretty cool. It was like Salma Hayek with this huge ass heart in this like very white setting. Yeah. And I, oh God, I loved it. So I also watched May for the first time. What's May? So this is a, a horror movie that came out in 2002. And this was a big thing with like my group of friends in um, high school where they were like, oh my God, that movie May is so weird. It's so weird. And they had like one copy of it at our local movie gallery. And I just never got around to seeing it. Just kind of thought about it, but I've never like sought it out to watch it until recently. It stars Angela Batiste and also Anna Faris. Oh, I love Anna Faris. And this is like during her like scary movie days. But it's basically about this girl named May, and she's super lonely, very socially awkward. She has, like, no friends, lives by herself. She doesn't know how to, like, communicate with people, and she has a lazy eye, and she gets it fixed. So now she's, like, ready to, like, take on the world. 
so she has a doll that her mom made for her when she was little because she had no friends. And her mom basically tells her, like, if you can't find a friend, make one. So that whole idea is present throughout this entire film. But she um, she works at a vet. So she's around, like, all these, like, you know, surgeries and blood and guts. And she's kind of into it. And um, she becomes obsessed with this mechanic that I think works around where she works at. So she kind of sees him on a daily basis. And she becomes obsessed with his hands. Like she thinks he has these beautiful hands and she's like constantly staring at them. And then she like starts to come around him. They go on a couple of dates and they're not really a thing, but they're kind of a thing. And um, in college he made like some kind of film, which was like a love story about cannibalism where the two lovers just end up eating each other. And he watches it with her to be like, hey, look what I made in college. And she gets insanely turned on by it. And they have a sexual encounter and she like bites him a bunch. And then he's like, okay, I'm not into this. Just like raw. Yes. Oh my God. Whoa. I never made the connection until you just said that. (laughs) So he kind of backs away from her and is like, this is a little too freaky for me. And he kind of ignores her. And um, I mean, she really doesn't care about him. She just likes his hands a lot. Like one time he was kind of like falling asleep at his lunch table and she just like started caressing her face with his hands while he was sleeping. Like weird stuff like that. And Anna Ferris is her friend from work, Polly, her lesbian co-worker that is really into her sexually, um, into May. I guess like May's like mystery and her strangeness is a big turn on for um, Polly. And she and May is obsessed with Polly's neck. She's like, you have a beautiful neck. Oh my God. And then Polly is sleeping with this other girl and she's like, oh, you have nice legs. Like she's admires like these body parts and people. So keep that in mind because at the end she makes her own person <laughs> with all her favorite body parts because she wants to make her own friend. It's kind of like Office Killer, right? She like builds like friends in this like uh, basement. Remind me, I don't know if you ever seen this movie called Pieces. Yeah, Pieces. It reminded me more of Pieces. And also Office Killer, um, that Cindy Sherman movie. Yeah. So it's got a lot of that where it's just like these socially awkward people that are like, people suck. I'm gonna make my own person. That's cool. And surprisingly, that wasn't the weirdest part in this movie for me. The strangest and most unsettling part is that May becomes obsessed with this school for the blind with blind children and she volunteers and she brings this that doll that her mom made her that's her friend and the blind kids break it and it's glass case and there's glass all over the floor and they all start getting cut and shit and there's like blood everywhere and like blind children screaming and they break her doll which i think is what causes her to make the human doll but I think that was really strange for me. Like, kids getting cut up and shit. That's cool to hear that there were good horror movies in the early 2000s, because most of them are pretty terrible. It's, it was really good, and it, was, it wasn't, it was like, a high-quality film. Mm-hmm. It was very rough. Yeah. Um, but I think it made it very cool, and apparently it has, like, a pretty big cult following. Um, so I'm glad I got around to seeing it, and I'm embarrassed to admit that what got me around to seeing it is that um, I revisited the scary movie franchise <laughs> like an idiot. And I'm like, wow, I, it hit me that that was Anna Faris. I did not realize that was her in those movies. And then I'm like, what else did she do around that time? And then I go into like the black hole that is the IMDb list. 
I love her so much, and she like is never in anything good. I can maybe name like three you movies. Did, what about House Bunny? I haven't seen that. You would love it. I think I would. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> I really like her in Observing Report, and I really like yeah. her in Keanu. Yes. Uh, and those are both good. But for the most part, she's really great in really terrible stuff. Yeah. Uh, and she deserves better. She's kind of like a bad movie queen. Probably um, thanks to Scary Movie. They kind of like put her in a yeah. corner, you know? It's like, and she looks nothing like herself in there. It's very cool. But um, that's pretty much the two big movies that I really got into lately. Um, what about you? So today's going to be kind of a sillier episode. So I, I kind of want to talk about like a couple trashier things I've seen recently. One was a horror cheapy on Amazon Prime, which has like a lot of like pretty high quality prints of like shitty 80s movies. Yeah. It's surprising how deep that catalog is. I ended up watching this movie the other day that I did not enjoy called My Mom's a Werewolf. It was kind of like Teen Witch without the songs, which was not as good, not obviously. Not cool. That's what uh, makes Teen Witch Teen Witch. Exactly. Uh, the I Like Boys song is what makes that movie shine, you know? Uh, but the same director from that movie did a film the same year called Death Spa that I fucking fell in love with so hard. It's on the surface, this sort of like blatant commercial idea of like, Okay, there's a craze of all these health spas, like, you know, hip health gyms opening in California all at the same time. Right. Let's make a horror movie about that fad. <laughs> so, you know, there's like a juice bar in the gym and like some of the equipment's like automated through computers and it's like capitalizing on this like craze of like health clubs opening in LA. And this is obviously an 80s movie. <laughs> a lot, lots of spandex and neon, you know. Ugh. So what I kind of expected from it was this like cheap slasher concept where the movie starts off where like the camera is POV is like from the killer who's like stalking these women I in the gym. I love that. Yeah, it's great. I so love the, that. But the movie teases that that's what it's doing. That's not what it's doing at all. Oh no. This isn't a slasher movie. <laughs> this is like a haunted gym where like <laughs> what? the ghost... Of someone else who has something to do with the owner of the gym is getting her vengeance in the machines. It's a lady ghost? Yeah. Ugh. And she haunts the computers that automate the gym equipment and kill people through these like automated saunas and weightlifting machines and stuff like that. That sounds great. So it's kind of like I got my unfriended uh, like haunted technology horror Mm -hmm. and my like cheap slasher neon lights and like over-the-top kills. This is like the beginning of your techno-horror. Oh, yeah. 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 The birth. Yeah, the birth of Unfriended. Got a really unhealthy <laughs> fear of computers and, like, new technology and nice. stuff. So this is probably around, like, I guess, like, Maximum Overdrive was probably a little bit before that, but it's similar in that way where the machines kind of start I to... I think they're probably pretty close to when... They, like, those are both probably late 80s, or late, late 90s. 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Death Spy. If you're looking for a really over-the-top horror film, surprisingly good cinematography and, like, lighting and like kind of intense visual craft married to this like really dumb premise that doesn't deserve that much attention which is like my favorite combination i love that because you know i'm pretty sure everyone hates the gym even people who like act like they're into it are just trying to like be cool because no one likes that place so the fact there's like a horror movie about it that kind of brings out like oh it's a a shit place well that's what's weird about it is like it seems so natural and smart for a movie to be about you know, women working after hours at a gym, which is creepy, right? Because, like, it's a space that's 
intensely focused on your body. Right. And there's like strangers there and strangers are always going to be creeps in a situation where your body is like on display like that. Very true. Uh, so the movie easily could have been this like slasher killer with like a phallic weapon killing all these women. But instead it went in this whole other weird ass direction with like ghost computers and there's also this climactic party Fantastic. that's like a quote-unquote Mardi Gras costume party in L.A. at a gym at night. That sounds like hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they like trap all these people there at the party in costume in the gym. And that's when like everything really goes haywire. Ooh. Uh, movie's so fun. That's great. Yeah. And that's on Amazon Prime. Okay. I also saw this movie in the theaters that is one of the trashiest movies I've seen all year. And also like one of the most undeniably evil films I've seen in the theater in a long time. Like, this is a really creepy movie. And it's called Show Dogs. Have you seen the trailer for this? So, yeah, I love anything with, like, talking animals. Like, I'm a fan of, like, all the Beverly Hills Chihuahua films. (laughs) Snow Dogs and Homer Bound. Like, I love that. So I've been wanting to see it, especially because they have this, like, really cute Rottweiler. Um, But I've heard some stuff about it. So I'm going to let you take over that. <laughs> so Ludacris plays a Rottweiler cop. Mm-hmm. And he's paired with Will Arnett, who's like a human cop. And the two of them are these like macho, tough guy, I don't work with a partner kind of cops. Like a Turner and Hooch kind of thing? Except right. a meaner Hooch? There's a bunch of Turner and Hooch jokes in the film. Great. So they go undercover to stop this like animal trading ring that yeah. is at a uh, you know dog show, like a best in show type competition. And the movie is this weird mix of being a comment on toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and being a participation in it. Like, wow. you know, Ludacris has, the Rottweiler has to learn these lessons. Like, maybe it isn't so bad to ask for help, which is fine. Right. But then it gets into these weird areas where, like, they shame him for being too good for this by, like, waxing his asshole, which is a really weird moment for a kid's movie. Uh, also, RuPaul plays this character that's, like, a female dog. And the way that Ludacris and Will Arnett bond is that Ludacris is disgusted by RuPaul's dog. And Will Arnett almost makes him breed with this other dog. Oh. And then decides not to. And that's like when they had their bonding moment. That is so dark. It's weird because it plays kind of like a homophobic, like gay panic humor. Even though RuPaul's dog is gendered female, he's literally using lines from RuPaul's Drag Race. Like he says, sashay away and stuff. And it's like, it plays very much homophobic to me. Okay. Uh, So that's all weird. An hour after I get out of the movie, it turns out that the weirdest, most disturbing part of the film has now been removed. I saw this about a week ago, and basically a couple of mommy bloggers picked up on this really fucked up strand in the narrative where Ludacris' dog has to learn to not bite people when they inspect his genitals so that he can pass the judge's inspection. Yeah, I read about that. Like, that article, like, was... It went viral. It's fucking disturbing. How it's, like, grooming children to, like... Go to their happy place. Uh, go to your happy place while you get molested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of watching the movie thinking like, oh, the controversy is a little overblown. Like, there's like one montage where they mention it. And I'm like, that's not so big of a deal. Then it gets to this climactic moment where the judge's inspection is actually happening. And the soundtrack goes dead silent. And then you hear just his heartbeat as he's like sweating, dreading uh, getting his genitals 
Aww. handled by a stranger. I think I would have cried. And then he goes to his happy place, which is this kaleidoscopic fireworks going off reenactment of dirty dancing. Will Arnett and Natasha Leone tell him he's a good boy. And then he passes the inspection. What the fuck? So, like, it plays like a fucking uh, rape scene, but it's like in a kid's movie. With a dog, which I... Uh, okay, so when shit like this happens, I don't understand. Like, I have no experience with, like, making a movie and producing a movie, but how do so many people, so many intelligent, well-paid <laughs> individuals and actors and actresses and every fucking person involved, like make something like this say okay that's fine and they don't catch on to all these little things like i didn't see it and just from hearing the description of it i'm like whoa that's shit that shit that shit that's all horrible like what makes them say like oh this is good to put out for kids that's a good question and i think also even with the grooming go to your happy place yeah uh thing removed from the film it's still terrible for children. Like, there's still these, like, kind of nasty, weird undertones to it. I definitely applaud them for pulling the scene from the film. Like, I think that was smart. Yeah. If they're going to keep it in the theaters. Because, I mean, I'm sh- is there a conspiracy theory that there's a bunch of pedophiles making this movie? Out uh, there, probably. But it's like, I, I don't think they made it no, purposely it was, to be like, ooh, we should, like, make this so kids are okay with being molested. Well, they probably thought it was funny, honestly. They probably thought, like, oh, like, dog weenies. Yeah. You know, which I think those dog shows like really disturb me in a way where it's like, oh, it's like fun to like see the different breeds of dogs. But then like their lives probably kind of suck a little bit. All those like puppy mill inbreeding things that have to happen to get those dogs. Like they just don't seem free. And it's like to have a dog so disciplined like that, they have to encounter some kind of abuse. Right. So that just kind of freaks me out in general. I think my stance on this movie is... It should never have been made, like okay. we were just saying. Like it, that, For it to go through that many people and make it to the screen is like absurd. But I think the move might have been like an ideal world to not remove the grooming scene, but to take the film out of the theaters entirely yeah. and then make it like NC-17 or something for it not to be for kids anymore. And then it gets in the $5 bin. Yeah, well, yeah. Now it's like, <laughs> okay, this is an adults-only thing. Yeah. Look how fucking fucked up this was. I thought it- that's really disappointing because I thought it was kind of cool because what it seemed like from the advertisement was that one of the heroes was a Rottweiler, which is deemed like a vicious dog and they have like a lot of stigmas against them. So I thought it was kind of cool having like kids get into, you know, kind of being like, oh, this dog's cool, like buying toys of him and like getting really into him and stuff. So that's a shame that yeah. it didn't go that way. Not really. I mean, they try to, like, make it like, oh, he's this tough guy cop that has to learn how how to, like, express more feminine, like, vulnerable parts of his personality. And the lessons and jokes that come out of that premise are, like, really disturbing. It's not like, oh, I want to go get a Rottweiler. It kind of (laughs) reminds me of this movie called Roar from the 80s. And when it came out, it was supposed to be this, like, family film about this family that lives with lions. And it was Melanie Griffith and Tippi Hedren, her, her mom. And they really did live with, like, lions in this, like, sanctuary. But during the production of that Disney movie, like, I think over a hundred crew members were, like, viciously mauled by the lions. And then when it was remastered and re-released after it flopped in the 80s, it was re-released as, like, a uh, exploitation film. Like, this production should have never happened. Look how fucked up this is. Wow. So I think Show Dogs deserves that treatment. Like, take it away from kids entirely and then re-release it, like, 
This was weird and sad and disturbing. Like the making of Showdown's right. movie. The movie. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, no. Just I recontextualize it. it. I mean, the last Talking Animals movie I saw too was Nine Lives, which has since become yeah. problematic as well because Kevin Spacey is the talking cat in oh, the center God. of it. Uh, and I enjoyed that movie as like an absurdist novelty as well. Yeah. Uh, I just don't think kids should watch it. <laughs> I don't think kids Aww. should watch these kids' movies because they're not good for them. Just keep watching Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> I actually have never seen those. That might be a future episode <laughs> of this show. <laughs> How many are there? Oh, <laughs> Three. So there's three of them. Yeah. I kind of have like a headcanon. I know those are usually really stupid, but it seems like that's the Chihuahua from Legally Blonde, you know? <laughs> like it seems like uh, an extension of that universe. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of curious about it. My, my personal favorite uh, like talking animal movie post Airbud is like uh, Russell Madness. Oh, the, the pro Jack wrestling Russell one. Turn? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's really fun. Well, today we're going to be talking about similarly stupid comedies, ill-conceived works of art. We're going to be talking about Adam Sandler's heyday before he was stuck in this sort of like Netflix purgatory he's in now. Kind of like also like before the Happy Madison production became a thing. Right. Which I think like he slowly started to go downhill when that became a production company. Yeah. He had like less people giving him advice and sort of went on off on his own. And, it was horrible. Yeah. But we're going to mostly focus today on like when he was more on top of his game as like mm-hmm. a leading man. Yes. In these like ridiculous comedies. Yes. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. You know what's nice about you? Your juicy heart-shaped tiny. What was that? I I don't know why I said that. I I meant to say that I've always dreamt about having sex with a gross pig. Can I wash my winky in your kitchen sinky? You're a real jerk. I didn't mean to be. And now it's time for our regular Movie of the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Brittany, it was your turn to pick this episode. What did you make me watch? So I made Brandon watch Little Nicky, which is a fabulous Adam Sandler movie. And it's the year was 2000. And in this episode, we're discussing like Adam Sandler films like prior to 2000. So this kind of made the cut. But I feel like it's still within the realm of like the stupid funny shit that he did. This was his first Happy Madison production. Was it? Yeah, so this is after his, like, big studio run. Uh, This is, you know, the first movies they made for Happy Madison were, like, Deuce Bigelow, Little Nicky, and Joe Dirt were the first three. Gotcha. I didn't know Joe Dirt was a Happy Madison production. (laughs) That's a great movie. (laughs) I don't know if I can condone these, like, these are all great movies. Uh, To be honest, like, I did not enjoy, I would say, half the movies we watched today. Oh my god. So this might be a more contentious episode <laughs> than what you were expecting. Very emotional. <laughs> so, well, so Little Nicky uh, is an Adam Sandler movie that came out in 2000 where he is the son of Satan. His name's Nicky. Um, should make that clear. And Harvey Keitel is his father. And Reese Witherspoon is an angel that is his mother. And he has two brothers that live in hell with him. Um, Adrian and Cassius and the film begins where the father or the devil um, is getting ready to retire and hand his throne off to his son one of his sons and Nikki is very innocent he just likes to like play some 80s metal and run around the room in his guitar he's really sweet 
and his brothers are like true like evil and at the end of everything his father sort of makes the decision to stay on the throne because he doesn't feel like his sons are ready and i do want to mention that the devil's dad lucifer is played by rodney dangerfield which is fabulous um he even gets like a couple of i don't get no respect jokes which i like a lot i like that both versions of satan between Ronnie Dangerfield and Harvey Gattel are like really likable characters. Yeah, I love all of the people in hell. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, except for the brothers. They're kind of <laughs> horrible. So the two evil brothers get super pissed off and they go to Earth because they want to make their own hell. And it prevents souls from going into hell, hell. So Satan starts to deteriorate and Nikki must go to Earth and bring his two brothers back to hell. So that souls can keep coming into hell and save his father. So Nikki goes up to Earth. And before moving forward, I do want to mention that um, Cassius, um, at some point when Nikki was little, hit him in the face with a shovel. So he has a speech impediment and he talks with a crooked mouth. This film came out when I was 10 years old. I thought that was funny as shit. Watching it as an adult, it is the most annoying thing ever. That is where I get to the problem. Okay. And this happens at least once more in the movies we talk about today, where you first are introduced to the character. Uh Uh-huh. And I was kind of on board with this movie, and I really like the production design of Hell, particularly. Yeah, I think it looks really great, and it's got kind of a fun atmosphere, barring some other problematic stuff we can talk about later. But that I thought was cool until now. Right, right. Uh, but <laughs> as soon as you see Nikki and he's got that hunchback and that crooked mouth and those awful emo bangs, yeah, you're like, is he gonna talk like that the whole time? Mm-hmm. And fuck, he does. Like it's like a 90 second bit uh-huh. from an Adam Sandler CD that went too long. That just goes for 90 minutes instead of 90 seconds. It's a bad joke that never ends. Yeah. Like, He's like, hey, Nikki. Popeye's chicken's <laughs> fucking awesome. Right. Like, it's um, it's so stupid. And then there's other stupid shit. Like, one of the demons in hell gets tits on his head. That's a funny bit to me. Kevin Nealon with, like, one boob on his head. Well, there were two. They're just very close together. Uh, okay, he, like, wears a bra over He wears a bra, yeah. I think that looks funny. And just then the Hitler getting ass-fucked with a pineapple. There's my other problem. <laughs> it's kind of... Yeah, like all these things where I'm just like, wow, what, you know, being a 10 year old, you're like, oh, like that's funny. And then now I'm like, it's just very problematic. I think the visual gag of the boobs on Kevin Nealon's head is really funny. Okay, that kind of freaked me out like now. I was really? like, oh, that made me very uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable, but it's like, it's just kind of like embarrassing, like that he has these like tits on his head. And like, he has to get a bra because he's ashamed of him. Well, that's kind of weird. I don't know. But just the jiggling boob on a, okay. a person's head made, made me kind of laugh. I mean, I can tell you not to be uncomfortable with it. It's <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I get it. Like, it's kind of like, hee-hee, but then at the same time, like, I'm just like, oh, God. Like, that must feel weird, having boobs <laughs> yeah, on your head. Like, I, I don't know. It just makes me feel weird. I think that's why I like about it. It's like, okay. it, it's like really, like, gross. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of rape jokes in this movie. Yeah. Which I get that you're in hell, anything goes, but, like... It's like the place of sin. How am I going to laugh at like Hitler getting a pineapple shoved up his ass every day? Or like the movie opens with John Lovitz as like a peeping Tom staring in this woman's right. apartment window and he falls oh. out of the tree and dies and, and immediately starts he getting... He to be a bird. Yeah, he starts getting like humped by a bird as soon as he gets to hell. And you're supposed to laugh every time he reappears with this bird still humping him. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's just not funny. It's just weird. Like, I get it where it's like, I mean, they're bad people, so you're having horrible shit done to them. But it's just very uncomfortable. And <laughs> it's not coming from a good place. Like, okay, maybe you could be like, well, it's fucking Hitler. Who cares? But, like, there's this other... The humor is meant to be like, this is funny. Like, there's this other, like, trans woman character they keep making fun of. Mm-hmm. And everyone's, like, super grossed out by her. And that is another thread that runs through a lot of Adam Sandler movies. Yes. This is like transphobic gag. Right. Sort of repeats itself in a bunch of these movies. I'm sure... It wouldn't fly today. At the time sure. when I was like... If I had seen this when I was 13 when it came out, I wouldn't have cared. But yeah. like... In 2018... We give a like, shit now. Yeah. Like, we, we know better. Which, good. I'm glad that, yeah. you know, culture That's shifted that way. having these conversations. So, when Nikki is on Earth looking for um, Adrian and Cassius... You know, I know we just talked about the dog movies, partner in crime kind of situation. He has Mr. Beefy, who is this really cute bulldog that accompanies him. The same flapping mouth CGI technology as show dogs, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Mr. Beefy is super cute. And actually, I wasn't aware of this until, like, recently. Adam Sandler is known for having his bulldog named Meatball. And Meatball's dad is Mr. Beefy. Aww. That's Isn't that cute. adorable? It is cute. Yeah. Just, I love like when dogs are named after food. Was the dog funny though? I like, just the thought voice... he was adorable. But like the whole like when they fall asleep, how the dog's like, la 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 la. And then when Adam Sandler falls asleep, he's like, I will eat your heart. Like all that stuff like made me piss my pants. <laughs> and like now I was like, oh, that's so like cringy, like unfunny. There's just something about the, the dog's voice that's a lot like Nikki's voice too. It's like, you gotta find your special powers. <laughs> it's like not funny. It, it The bit goes on I for so like long. I did like how they um really praise Popeye's fried chicken in here. And that's another thread for a lot of Adam Sandler movies that I've discovered watching yeah, a bunch from the road. He promotes a lot of brands. Product placement. Yeah. And we'll totally talk about that more with the other ones. Yeah. But Popeye's takes the cake and little Nikki. There's a lot of Kmart and Coca-Cola in this movie as well. Oh, yeah. Wasn't there... Um, you're he right. makes like a can levitate directly in front of the camera so he can read the label for like two solid minutes <laughs> while he stretches his powers. <laughs> Which is a weird impulse for a movie that's kind of like anti-establishment. It wants to be this like sort of new metal rebellious comedy well, they had a very good new metal soundtrack, though, that included, like, Linkin Park Let and, me... like, two Deftone songs, which are some of my favorite music. Linkin Park, Deftones. Points of Authority, I believe. P.O.D., Cypress Hill, yes. Disturbed, Power Man 5000, Muse, Filter. Yeah. This is my hell. Like, okay. <laughs> that is not a great this is soundtrack. Minus, minus um, <laughs> probably minus P.O.D. and Power Man 5000, this is my heaven. Right. Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> um, these are, like, some of my favorite bands and favorite songs, so th- I thought that was pretty cool. I will say in the year 2000, that was my genre of music as well. I've just become embarrassed by who I was at that time, I think. I think you embrace it. <laughs> no, it hurts. <laughs> Although I did hear a corn song in uh, that movie Dope. Uh, they played like Freakin' Alicia. I was like, oh, this is kind of good again. It's good. And also, Jonathan Davis just did a solo album that is fantastic. I will never listen to that. And he is that. on tour. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it wants to be this like new metal, like rebellious. Yeah. I'm going to wear my Jinkos and spit in the face of authority. Uh, this came out the same year as Dogma. Um, and both oh. movies have the same like nonchalantly disrespecting religion and being blasphemous about the church. Which is 
a very like juvenile thing when you're like young you're like oh what's gonna piss off like authority and your parents the most it's like making fun of church stuff would have been there at this time if yeah i seen it when it came out and then like looking right at that i'm just like i mean whether you're i don't know i just think it's like disrespectful where i get it it's rude <laughs> yeah like you know i don't i i get really like nowadays like anytime like anyone's faith like regardless if it's like christian or wiccan or Muslim or Buddhist, like I get very like uncomfortable whenever it gets made fun of. Yeah. So it just kind of like, oof, it's I don't a, know. it's like performative. Like it's okay to have your own like lack of faith or whatever, but you know, you like shit all over it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the movie has that kind of like rebellious attitude, and like you said, it is obviously yeah. juvenile. But at the same time, he's giving all this free ad space not free he's getting paid for it but he's giving all this ad space to like Popeyes and Coca-Cola and God, I mean Kmart. did you not want to get Popeyes after you watched it? <laughs> no. Oh my god I, I really mean, wanted to get Popeyes chicken is fucking awesome like I'm not gonna It's very delicious I'm not gonna lie That's, That's when he bites into it for the first time whenever Mr. Beefy's like showing him how to eat and he's like bite the chicken chew now swallow Also to be fair <laughs> I live like two blocks away from McCarty's which is the best fried chicken in New Orleans the one thing here's the thing at Popeyes I think everybody should try it and I just want to make it known it's a wrap Mm. where they have a chicken tender and red it's a tortilla wrap with red beans and rice and a chicken tender and it's wrapped up that sounds like how I eat leftovers like earlier when I was waiting for you to come over it was so much easier for me to eat my leftovers like rice and broccoli chicken in a burrito shape so I had, like, one hand free to, like, do other stuff around the house. No, that's how I eat. Like, when I eat, like, fish and white beans, I put the fish in my white beans and rice with ketchup and mustard, and I mix it all together and eat it. It's like homemade fast food. Yeah. So that's why, that's why like, no one brings me to fancy places. Because that's what I do. They should, we should make a restaurant, hear me out here, where there's no tables. You just walk around talking and socializing while eating burritos. I would really enjoy that. Stuff with different things. <laughs> like a red beans and rice chicken tender burrito. Yeah, weren't you eating a burrito outside? That's on exactly the porch yeah, when I was I finishing up my dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is how everybody should be. Well but, I mean, regardless, but besides the Popeyes thing, I mean this little Nikki really didn't have too much going for it. Like when I recommended this, I'm like, oh Brandon's gonna think this is cool. You know, it's been probably about like six years since I watched it. I mean, I still laughed at a lot of it. Like I liked all the the um I love the two the metalhead duo. That's like, oh, Nikki's cool. <laughs> he's he's from hell. Yeah, <laughs> they were funny. Um, like when they're trying to play the uh, Ozzy record backwards, and they're like, no. And they, what record is it? I can't think of what record they put it's on. It's like Tom Jones or something. Yeah, and they're really like, innocuous. <laughs> they play it backwards. Yeah. So there's like, so I think it's it's stupid funny. Like this is a movie that like while you're high or where you're like a little drunk, if you turn it on, I'm sure you'll have a good time. For me, this was a perfect mixed bag of like what I enjoyed about the Adam Sandler movies we watched today and what I hated about them. Oh, great! I would put this in the negative category overall. Like, I did not okay. like this movie, but like it was just kind of like a grab bag. Like Rodney Dangerfield, funny. Quentin Tarantino, not funny. You know, like <laughs> I forgot about that. Kevin Nealon, boob, found that funny. Hitler with the pineapple, not funny. Yeah. Like it was kind of like a case by case basis. I think this is the movie where it starts to tilt. In the negative way. Like, his whole film franchise starts to go south. And this is the first Happy Madison production, so that kind of makes sense. Like, there's less input from other people and less reasons for him to care. And I think one of the main criticisms about him recently is he picks his movies based on the locations to basically fund his vacations. Like, he'll go... (laughs) 
God. set a movie in Hawaii so you can go hang out in Hawaii for a few weeks and just shoot a stupid movie while he's out there, you know? Yeah. And it's all paid for. I don't want to, like, shit on it. I'm sure we'll get more into it. But there are, there are a couple of Happy Madison films that I really love, like Sp- Spanglish and Fifty First Dates. I really, really like those movies. Um, but they're not very, they're very, like, rom-com drama almost and not, like, very I wouldn't be humorous. surprised if those weren't Happy Madison, though. Even if, even if they were after Little Nicky, they yeah. might have been like major studio movies. Because it's not like he only does his own productions, gotcha. but you can kind of tell when he does his own productions. I'm going to do some more research. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, <don't, laughs> I was not prepared for these, this discussion, but no. it's, it's true. Like, like the Ridiculous Six and Grown Ups feel like Happy Madison movies mm-hmm. to me. And like, like everything on Netflix. Yeah, like all of those. And That's My Boy. Right. Which was... Hell, but I when you get to stuff like Fifty First Dates or like Punch Drunk Love, obviously not Happy Madison. Uh, he was recently in a Netflix movie called Meyerowitz Stories, directed by Noah Baumbach. Saw that. Saw the preview, but not the. Film. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie either. Yeah, nothing but wants me to press play. You can tell those are not his core group with mm-hmm. like David Spade and Rob Schneider and all the other like SNL castoffs. His babies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want to sound like I was completely negative on this movie, but there's definitely like. A weird mix of, like, the worst problems that mm-hmm. plague his movies and, like, some glimpses of comedy that I wish were better served. And it mm-hmm. might sort of boil down to the fact that he does that stupid voice the whole fucking movie <laughs> that yeah. I'm, like, ultimately negative on it. I guess, it, like, it gets worse the older you get. What's going <laughs> to happen when you revisit this, like, 20 years from now? I don't think I will. <laughs> <laughs> What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So, truth be told... This was, I think, one of the first episodes you ever asked to do for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And we've been putting it off. You know, we've been trying to do like more timely stuff every now and then. But also, I've just been kind of like dreading going back over these like Adam Sandler movies. Because I knew for a fact that there were going to be a few that I thought were funny as a kid that weren't going to age well. Yeah. And I could just feel the exhaustion before I even get started. But lately, you and I have been on this, like, 90s nostalgia kick this year. I'm watching a lot of, like, 90s comedies over yeah. again. and this is kind of, like, a good way to close it. Because we're talking about, like, maybe we should do one more thing to kind of, like, bring it to an end. And I think this is, like, late... It goes to late 90s. And I think that's a good way to... Whew. But after doing this, like, I don't even feel like I'm done with it. Like, we watched five of his, like, 90s heyday movies. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what if we did an episode on Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore movies? Because that's, like, its whole vibe. Right. What if we did a whole episode that was, like, Adam Sandler dramatic roles, which I think I would be really interested in doing. Ooh, like Punch Drunk Love, Spanglish, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. We're going to turn this into an Adam Sandler podcast. <laughs> I guess I just want to say up front, like, I was kind of negative on the idea of doing this, and it seemed like it was going to be work. Mm-hmm. And there were a few movies on the list that I really enjoyed, which I did not expect. Yay! And I would say my top one is the first one we're going to talk about right now. Okay. Uh, it was his movie Billy Madison from 1995. 
I'm a lifelong SNL fan. Like, uh-huh. next to maybe The Simpsons, it's the only show I could think of where I've watched it my whole life. Oh. And even The Simpsons, like, I mean, that came out after I was born, and it also stopped being funny at a certain point. And I still watch SNL on a weekly basis when it's on the air. And my favorite aspect of SNL is what they call the 10 to 1 sketch, which is when it airs on the East Coast, it's the last 10 minutes of the show, uh, 10 minutes from 12.50 to 1 a.m. Okay. And that's where they dump these ridiculous sketches that make no goddamn sense. And you can tell they were written at 3 in the morning in an act of desperation to try to get something on the air. And those are the ones that stick with me. It's like really surreal, delirious kind of comedy out of those 10 to 1 sketches. And Billy Madison, to me, feels like an SNL 10 to 1 sketch. Okay. It's like a 90-minute comedy where Adam Sandler just (laughs) does one ridiculous bit to the next, and they don't have any connection to each other. They're sort of, like, flimsily hanged off this, like, central story. But they're all, like, the funniest shit ever. It's weirdly funny. It's it's like uh, Freddy Got Fingered, I think, is, like, the the (laughs) pinnacle of this version of comedy. It's, like, dumb humor that is so good. Hands down, this is, like, the funniest fucking thing Adam Sandler has ever did. And I'm... I don't, I'm not, like, a Saturday Night Live person. I grew up on, like, Mad TV. Boo! Is, I know. Everyone always tells me that. They're like, what's wrong with you? But I can't get into Saturday Night Live for the life of me. Maybe, I don't know, eventually. It's a show, I'm only mentioning this because I think his comedy works the same way. Yeah. It's a show where you have to sort of accept that not every sketch is going to be good. Yeah. But because of the punishing rhythm of the writing schedule, really weird, absurd shit sort of gets through to the screen. And those are like gems. Uh, yeah, that's I'm the getting. stuff that like sticks okay. with you. And yeah, this movie has that sort of zazz rhythm of like joke after joke yeah. after joke. They're not all funny, but some of them are so fucking weird it's, that you have to admire how absurd they are. I have watched this movie, I'm not even kidding, probably close to 100 times. And my stomach hurts after I watch it every single time. Like, I still, like, it's like the this, this shit becomes funnier. And the more you watch it, there are these little, like, hidden treasures that um, kill me. Like, there's a part where he is sitting in his kindergarten class and Miss Lippy is telling a story. And there's a, there's a little girl in the, like, bottom left corner of the screen. And she makes this crazy face where she inhales and exhales and it's so fucking funny (laughs) and then there's like um one of his parties that he has after he graduates from like whatever grade this little boy like jumps on a sprinkler and screams and it lasts for two seconds but it's so funny it's just all these like facial expressions and noises and like it's just weird instincts. These tiny, tiny, teensy little things that are so funny and so perfect. And I think that two seconds aspect mm-hmm. is what makes it so much more tolerable than something like Little Nicky, where right. he makes the voice and you're like, oh shit, is this going right. to be the whole movie? It's almost like you're sitting tight and you're like, okay, 10 more minutes of something funny is going to happen. It's like you have to put up with shit to get to something good. Yeah. But Billy Madison just gives you something funny over and over. I can't think of There's one. no bit that lasts long enough to get old. Maybe like, that's why. Yeah, like any bit is over in like a second and there's a new one started. So you can't like get too used to anything that's happening there's so many things like this is i probably quote this movie more than any other movie in the world you know like you've got the odoyo rules you got nudie magazine day you got shampoo is better 
it's just as all these like tiny little things that just kind of stick with you throughout life. What's your experience with um, Freddy Got Fingered? Freddy Got Fingered um, um, got on DVD. I was a fan of it as a kid. Uh, I still love it a lot. I think yeah. it's pretty similar to this movie. Both Adam Sandler and us. Uh, Tom, Tom Green. Green and that I was trying not to say Seth Green, which was um, <laughs> Drew Barrymore's ex-husband. Yes, yeah, so maybe Look she at finds that Drew this Barrymore funny. connection. I love her. I feel like you know, her, if this is like her style and humor, then she's my girl. Yeah. Um, but I think they're both playing like these characters that are like either seven or twenty-seven. Like you can't tell. Is that a thing that I enjoy? Because I love that movie Clifford. <laughs> Clifford, with, uh, Martin Short. I would say Tim and Eric fall in that category. Yeah, just as well. like whenever adults like act like idiots or like immature idiots. I it's really like, like that. <laughs> coming straight from the id with no like logical <laughs> yeah. explanation for the things you're doing. I like that. I, it, it's comforting because like, well, like Freddy got fingered. It's mindless. You can pop into any part of this movie and get entertained. Like you can leave. You can go like fix something to eat. You can go take a dump. You can go, <laughs> you know, get your mail. And when you come back in, you're going to be entertained and you might've missed something, but you're going to find something funny within like two minutes. Yeah. And that's that absurdist. Uh, I mean, he's an SNL vet. Yeah. Uh, so that's like that SNL sketch comedy kind of structure. Um, and this feels almost better than most SNL movies mm-hmm. because like we said, the bit sort of resets every few seconds. So there's a lot of good original music in here as well. I always think about that song at the end that he sings. There's like a um, old-fashioned musical song yes, that he sings. I will go back to school, country <laughs> victory. Yeah, like that part is so crazy to me because yeah, like you said, it's like this old-fashioned like musical, like kind of the climax of the film. Yeah, <laughs> expressed in a musical scene. It's beautiful. So all these gags are hung off this like sort of contrived comedy plot. This is the only film directed by a woman that we've talked about that we'll talk about today uh-huh. I'd be curious to see how many Adam Sandler movies are directed by women because he's made a lot and it seems like kind of weird that we just watched six and only one <laughs> was directed by a lady well I guess you can kind of like this one isn't as I don't know like are there any parts that would be very offensive towards women uh, well, there's that one um, the transphobic Kavan. gag during the uh, nudie magazine day that's oh, making fun yeah. of trans women that was really uncomfortable. But I don't know. He was he was into it a little bit. He was like, eh. yeah. Like I mean, he would go back and read it later. It's still based on a slur though, which true. is kind of gross. Yeah, you're uh, right. <laughs> very true. And then the drunk girls, like that, kind of is also very. Eh. But this is uh, Tamara Davis, who also did Crossroads. So she's got kind of like a distinctly '90s vibe to her great style. Woman. And this is like a contrived comedy plot sort of on purpose. Uh-huh. Um, basically, Billy Madison is this privileged brat who's like nearing 30 years old, has done nothing with his life except hanging around, living off his father's wealth. Yeah. Uh, he mostly gets day drunk in the pool, taking in <laughs> too much sun and cheap beer. And daiquiris. And daiquiris. <laughs> and hanging out with Norm MacDonald and other reprobates. Uh-huh. Uh, Getting so drunk in the sunshine that he often hallucinates that there's a penguin that's out to get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this sort of absurd comedic penguin bit that keeps reoccurring in the film. And don't you find, like, speaking of the penguin, in the beginning there's a penguin chase. And the background music is very, like, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes. Like, it's like... It almost sounds like, oh, what's what's Oingo Boingo guy? Danny Elfman. Danny, it's very, like, just Danny Elfman. I agree. Style soundtrack. <laughs> And I think the movie does a good job of not making him seem cool. 
You kind of right. know that he's a fucking loser. You don't want to be like him. Right. You're laughing at him. And I think sure. that's something the uh, movies lose over time is like you're supposed to find his juvenile behavior like relatable later. And here yeah. you're like, wow, what a fucking loser. And I think that's what makes it super funny because like no one in their right mind would act like this. Right. Like it's so absurd. And the absurd scenario he has to deal with is that his father's getting rid of his control of the company because he's sort of retiring out of it. Mm-hmm. And he's either going to give the company to Bradley Whitford. Eric. Uh, from Get Out. Uh, looking young <laughs> as hell with like a mullet in this movie. But a horrible hairline. Yeah, yeah. He's like kind of balding and he has this like 80s Bless him. Uh, mullet. Yeah. Looks like a business dick and a weasel. <laughs> So you got this money-hungry guy who wants uh-huh. to take the control of the company away from Billy Madison. And Billy Madison wants to prove to his father that he can actually be responsible for the company. Which his dad disbelieves because he's paid his way through life. <laughs> to prove to his father that he's a capable human being, he makes a wager that he can repeat the cycle of kindergarten through senior year of high school. I think in like a few like weeks. Like two weeks per grade. Right. Without his father's help. And the movie is this sort of like, sort of nonstop montage of him running through <laughs> kindergarten, first grade, and so on until he graduates high school in this like yeah. grand spectacle where he like has a trivia match against uh, Bradley Whitford. The <laughs> plot is not the main draw, obviously. It's all the weird ass songs he sings between his like <laughs> shampoo and conditioner or, you know, the birthday clown that falls over and cracks its head and everyone laughs at him while he bleeds out on the concrete. And this, like, really darkly disturbing joke. <laughs> I think the funniest bit to me, even, was the uh, maniacal, sloppy Joe cafeteria worker. <laughs> who is serving sloppy Joe to the children. And she's like, I know you like them extra sloppy. I made him extra sloppy for you. He's like, hey, lady, you're scaring me. <laughs> they all laugh. That is fucking funny. I don't know why it's funny, but it is. <laughs> because... Something about, like, gross food being thrown on your plate and, like, a smoky woman <laughs> fucking serving it. It's just great. She's got this maniacal obsession with <laughs> sloppiness that's really funny, too. And also that gag builds off of an SNL sketch and, like, what? the Sloppy Joe song. I don't know anything about SNL. Well, he had a bit on one of his CDs where he song, sang a song about Sloppy Joes. Oh, my God. And uh, he performed the song on SNL with uh, Chris Farley as the Sloppy Joe lady cafeteria worker serving sloppy joes while he like sings the song so yeah this is like very nested in snl culture to me including you know steve buscemi has been on the show (laughs) norm mcdonald from the show Uh uh-huh uh one of the writers uh from norm mcdonald's movie um dirty work and snl also plays the uh quiz master in the uh (laughs) in the final showdown where he, he delivers one of the funniest bits too where he just like, we're all stupider from listening to what you said. I award and you no points. <laughs> and God may have mercy in your soul. <laughs> this is the stuff that I could hope for from every Adam Sandler movie. Right. It, the bar is set very high with this being, like, the first film that we watch. Because it's it's gold. It is pure gold. Like, I didn't feel, like, I didn't have any cringe moments where I'm like, oh, this is embarrassing. Everything uh, was just very funny to me. Uh, the the uh, trans porno max were a little gross. Well, the tra- right, right. I don't <laughs> That's know like why. That's like one second, just, though. Yeah, it was yeah. like one second, and it kind of shows... It's like it's kind of there as like to show you how far we have come to where that would be very unacceptable in yeah. a film. 
now. Like, I think if Adam Sandler with the mentality, I don't know. Like, I'm like, Adam Sandler now is making shitty films, so Billy Madison wouldn't be good right now. But maybe the way that the world has changed, like, that wouldn't have been a He'd thing. at least want to avoid the think pieces if it wasn't coming from, like, a genuine place. Right. But otherwise, like, yeah, yeah. totally into this. It even had, like, a pro wrestling tangent. Yes, with the principal. He sat on someone. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, like, legally obligated to enjoy anything with a pro wrestling. Uh... Yeah, there's a lot of wrestling um, kind of hints throughout these movies. But, yeah, that was ugh, just so good. I love, um, and it's like he goes through all these grades very quickly, but he really finds his niche and his people in Ms. Veronica Vaughn's class. I think that might be the fourth grade maybe um where he pees pants with the kids and all this fun stuff and oh the um the jiggly face boy that part yeah like grabs a little chubby kid by his cheeks and shakes him <laughs> tells him never to grow up he like he's like oh i can't wait till i go to high school and he has like this little chubby kid with this long tail and then he looks at him, he's like don't you say that don't you ever say that stay here Stay here as long as you can. For the love of God, cherish it. I posted that GIF on my timeline as like a representation of what it feels like to watch an Adam Sandler movie. Uh, especially this movie because it's so I intense. That one thing could like represent like, okay, this that is how Billy Madison is as a whole. Because he just grabs you by the face and just yells uh-huh. comedy at you. And your double chin just flaps. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so the next movie in the list from the next year, uh, this is Happy Gilmore from 1996. Uh, and this feels more like a traditional SNL movie to me. Even though Happy Gilmore was not an SNL character. Yeah. Like, those movies like Stuart Saves His Family and, like, MacGruber and mm-hmm. uh, Night at the Roxbury. Yeah. Like, this feels like a more grounded character. It's it's like more mature humor. It's like more it's well-behaved. as stupid as Billy Madison, for sure. It's less Freddy Got Fingered and more, like any comedy you've seen before. And that might be why it's my least favorite out of all of these. (laughs) Whoa! I liked this movie. Really? You know, and that's like the one thing that like, I've always been so afraid to admit this and I feel like this is a safe space where like, I never liked this movie and I try very hard to like it but the only parts that are funny is when he yells and gets violent. I have a complete opposite take on that. Okay. Uh, I think him yelling is... Kind of gross. Okay. Like, the plot of this movie is that he is a lifelong hockey fan, uh, and he accidentally discovers, because he's terrible at ice skating and never gets on the hockey team, that he's actually pretty good at golf, because uh, he can stand still and hit the puck. Because he, just... he has these bi- like big aggression issues. Right. It's kind of gross to me to see this, like, white man have this, like, anger issues and blow up and, like, violent outbursts at people and never get in trouble for it. Like, he punches people throughout this movie, yells in their face. <laughs> he, like, doesn't go to jail or anything. He just sort of gets away with it. And the movie doesn't have any kind of critical... Like, yeah, I never loved that. I just, like, thought it was... He's funny when he yells. Like, he has I don't a think re- he is. He has a really stupid face when he does it. Like, I don't know. Just something about him yelling. I kind of appreciated the fact that in Little Nicky, at least he wasn't yelling the whole time. He kind of whispers out the side of his mouth. He's a soft-spoken little boy. I found that a little more tolerable than him yelling in my face. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But I think the movie's pretty funny in general. Like, it's still got this absurdist streak. Like, 
he doesn't care about golf at all, so he's got this sort of like lackadaisical attitude to it. Right. Where there, everyone else around him, golf is their entire life. And they've worked really hard, and he's just like, this game sucks. He's sucks like, that you guys worked all your life for this. Come up to the range and see the amazing golf ball whacker guy. Like, he can't even come up with a name for his, like, talent to uh, hit the ball incredibly well. Yeah. Or, like, uh, the villain of the movie, Shooter McGavin, who is also the villain in Dirty Work. Oh, yeah. Uh, he will um, make a joke about getting a gold jacket and Happy's not going to get it. And Happy goes, green jacket, gold jacket? Who gives a shit? I find that kind of like chaotic outsider who just doesn't care about the like plot yeah. uh, really funny. Also really funny to me in this movie is Carl Weathers' whole storyline. Oh, he's like supposed to be like this sensei, like passionate, like let me help you. And he just like could give two shits about him. Yeah, Carl Weathers is, like, trying to display this, like, wisdom of, like, keeping us cool and going to a zen right. place. His happy place, like, show dogs. Um, oh, my <laughs> God, and happy has his happy place. You're right. <laughs> That's so gross. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> but his backstory, The Coach, uh, by Carl Weathers, mm-hmm. is basically Captain Hook from Peter Pan. His hand was bitten off by an alligator. and I Because they're always in golf courses. Of course. Uh, yeah, he went to go get his ball out of the water and a gator was hanging out in there and bit his hand off. And I find that fucking hilarious. Anything to do with a gator in this movie had me howling with laughter. Really? Yeah. Okay. Especially at the end where, spoiler, Carl Weathers is dead. Uh, <laughs> and his ghost and the ghost of the alligator and the ghost of Abe Lincoln are all waving happy good luck <laughs> as he goes on to his next adventure. For some reason, that was like the funniest shit to me. So you want to know what made me laugh the most in Happy Gilmore? Very curious. And I think this is really making me question who I am. Is the Ben Stiller like elder abuse? <laughs> I think that's funny too. <laughs> I don't... Ben Stiller is like the his style of humor and him as like a comedian. You either fucking hate it or you love it. Right. And I think he is so funny. Like, this very, like, oh, yeah, we're going to take real good care of your grandma. And he closes the door and he's like, sit your ass down, you old bitch. And it's like, I don't know. I thought it was very funny. He had a really good run around this time. This is when he had his, like, sketch comedy show. Maybe we could do a Ben Stiller with uh, <laughs> With uh, Janine Garofalo and um, the ben Bob show. Odenkirk and, yeah, and Andy Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, a lot of those people worked on The Independent with Jerry Stiller. Oh. Yeah. Which I love that movie. Yeah, we watched that. Yeah, it was like a movie of the month. Movie of the month. That was very funny. So yeah, his like orderly who turns this like old folks home <laughs> into a sweatshop is really yeah. funny. Like he's like quilt. Like he makes them quilt and he's like taking orders and he's like $400 a quilt and he's like, do it faster. You have to produce more. I don't know. I thought that was very funny. And that's part of like the contrived comedy plot of this film is like Happy has to behave well enough in these golf tournaments to save his grandma's house so she doesn't have to work in the sweatshop pretty much which is like a little bit like an 80s movie like we have to have the big dance fundraiser to save the rec center right like it's like a really corny old-fashioned plot but the movie uses that to like hang absurdist gags off of it and also something else that really got me in here was the subway product placement i think that was like the beginning of his product placement yeah subway in this movie is popeyes and little nicky and I actually got a Subway Club after I watched it for supper, so it worked. Oh, no. <laughs> I found that kind of gross, honestly, and I found, like... Subway? Yeah, like, the, the product placement always feels weird in his movies. I think it's, like, entertaining. 
I don't know. I kind of think at it's least funny. he's blatant about it. Yeah. I guess even more gross is the way he deals with his ex girlfriend in the film. Mm. Uh, he keeps making these like offhand jokes about how she's like died horribly, and that's supposed to be funny, which kind of plays into like the way his anger issues are made to be funny. I don't right. find that particularly great, but I don't know. I like this movie. This feels like a classic SNL character movie to me. Uh, yeah, I get that. And I have an affinity for those. Like, I mean, humor is subjective in general. So, like, if you don't find the bits funny, then I could see it being, like, kind of a painful experience. Yeah. Did was. you find the exchange where Shooter McGavin tells him, I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast, and he responds, you eat pieces of shit yeah. for breakfast? I laughed at that. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that's very funny. The Bob Barker cameo. When he beats him up. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Which apparently uh, the viewership for Price is Right went up after uh, Happy Gilmore was released because he beat younger... Because shit out of Bob Barker. <laughs> Yeah, younger people were, like, suddenly interested in Bob Barker after that. Aww. Which I kind of find kind of funny. And then everybody spayed and neutered their cats. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't hate it, but I think out of all of the films that we've watched, it was, le- like, not as funny. But I think they were all funny movies, and I don't think this was a horrible movie. I just don't... Like, I won't watch it again, like, on my own will, unless I have, like, something like this. Including Little Nicky, we watched six movies today. Yeah. Half of them I enjoyed. Really? And Happy Gilmore was one of them. Really? I really liked That's it. That's the only one I didn't like. I know. <laughs> so let's move on to the next one. And I suspect this is the reason why you wanted to do this episode. Yes. This is The Wedding Singer from 1998. So I mentioned this in the um, Romeo and Michelle episode that we did, but the spot for my favorite movie of all time is shared by The Wedding Singer and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. There's nothing wrong with either like the wedding singer is such a perfect movie it's funny but it's very dramatic and romantic at the same time and it's super lighthearted and uh it's just this is a perfect movie i love this movie so much i will say i liked this one ah, thank god it was, in, it was in the group that i liked but i don't think i liked it more than happy gilmore and billy madison <laughs> What's wrong with you? I don't know. The, this movie, The Wedding Singer? It's a good, solid rom-com. And I like, I enjoyed that. I he think get, it was, and he sings in it a bunch. I thought it was an adorable rom-com. Okay. But I just like the more absurdist, chaotic humor okay. in the two earlier films we discussed. And I think with Romy and Michelle, that comparison, to me, the draw of this film and like what puts you in a good mood with both of them is the like 80s soundtrack, which is very good in and both instances. this is actually the, uh, this soundtrack is what got me into Depeche Mode um, because I just can't get enough is on it. But um, what's so funny- and Depeche Mode is your favorite band. Of all time, yeah. Right. Woo, thanks Wedding Singer. So the thing I want to mention about the two soundtracks is that they're both the Romy Michelle soundtrack. It's Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. And the second CD is more music. From mm. Romain Michelle's High School Reunion. The Wedding Singer soundtrack is The Wedding Singer soundtrack. And then more music from The Wedding Singer. They're both double discs. Is there a lot of um, overlap between the two of them? Because it seems like there would be. Because mm-hmm. it's on a very similar vibe. It's... Very similar vibe, but this one's more like new wave, I find. Like, Interesting. There's like Kajagugu, um, Depeche Mode, New Water. Then has like some Hall & Oates, you What's know, Stuff Your Mom Like. What's that song? like, I don't know your face. Come on now, Grandma Molly, I'm talking to you. That is, um, you spin me right round. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which I think was done exceptionally well in Party Monster, actually. It's another Ooh, movie we talked about on the show. Yeah, yeah, totally. But to me, 
this might go back to personal taste and like why comedy is subjective and all that. True, yeah. With Romeo and Michelle, you get a very similar vibe from the soundtrack. Yeah. But the jokes are way funnier and more absurdist. So to me, Romeo and Michelle, when you say that's a perfect movie, I'm totally on board with that statement. Mm-hmm. This movie to me is like, The Wedding Singer is like an enjoyable rom-com and I really liked it. I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, no. But I just kind of missed the absurdist energy from the earlier films that we already right. discussed and i think this is the you mo- see glimpses of it like yeah. you see like in that opening song where he sings you spin your right round the way he like just sort of casually mentions like someone put pants on that kid yeah and, and there's he, like and a- he does it in his adam sandler grip voice right i guess like the most absurdist part of this movie is probably george um played by alexis arquette and whenever he has a meltdown and he brings it to a wedding and he like threatens to strangle the bride's father with his microphone wire. Yeah. Like, that's where it starts to get a little funky and crazy. Um, but this is this is the Adam Sandler film that you can bring your mom to see. It's well-behaved. That's exactly. And I think the rom-com format is good for filtering yeah. out his least desirable impulses. Uh-huh. Like, when he gets sad later in the film, he does yell a little bit. Yeah. But he's not as, like, Freddy got fingered all over the place yelling right. random... It's contained. Yeah, he... Is almost a little too sincere at some points. Like early in the film, when he sings, he's kind of being like genuinely romantic, and it's a little off-putting. You're like, you're Adam Sandler. I can't find you romantic. But I think he eventually does sell it. Yeah. I think what works is the movie's plot, which he is like a hair metal singer that got past his prime and never realized his dreams, and now he's like a small town wedding singer. Right. So that cheese that's inherent to his character and inherent to his performances makes sense in the context of the movie. Right, right. So I do want to mention also that like Drew Barrymore is so fabulous in here. Um, Miss Julia Gulia. Um, <laughs> Which I thought was a gag from Never Been Kissed. I completely forgot this <laughs> from this one. They both have like very good chemistry in this movie and I'm glad that they like, there's other films with the two of them together because I really like them both. Um, but this movie... Like, even at the end, like, I know, like, romantic Adam Sandler is kind of, like, makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But the end of this movie where he, like, serenades her on a plane with Billy Idol is just so amazing. And I think their chemistry is handled really well early on. Because mm-hmm. the sort of conceit is she's going to marry someone who she doesn't belong with. And he's just been dumped by somebody he doesn't belong with. And it's so obvious to the audience that mm-hmm. they belong together. Right. And... They're, they become friends at work. She's a waitress at the same catering company that his wedding singing job works with. And they bond planning her wedding to another person. With, like, the best montage ever. Which is a really to sweet... To Hall & Oates' um, You Make My Dreams Come True. It's a really sweet concept <laughs> mm-hmm. to me for these two people to plan a wedding that has nothing to do with the two of them together and right. slowly realizing that it's actually for them. Right. That's a really great rom-com plot. And also, um, Steve Buscemi... In this movie is so funny. And he has like probably two, yeah, I think just like two appearances where in the beginning he gives this amazing like drunken speech for his brother's wedding that basically like drags his brother. And then at the end he sings the Spando ballet song True at Robbie and Julia's wedding. And I love how he makes that like reappearance at the end. I think my problem with it though is in the third act, like after the wedding planning part is over. And they're obviously supposed to be together and they know it. It becomes what Ebert 
called like the idiot plot where like all that needs to happen for the situation to resolve itself is for the misunderstanding to be cleared up. Like all it needs to happen is one person tell the other what's actually going on. But instead, it's this series of misunderstandings and, like, misconnections. You see, I like that. Because it, it puts you on the edge of your seat, and you're like, oh, no, is he going to make it in time at the airport? And you made us watch uh, Big Business, the uh, Bette Midler movie. <laughs> yes. Which is another major idiot plot film where, like, all that needs to happen for the film to resolve itself is for one person to say what's going on I love loud. idiot plots. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, all these, like, near misses and, like... Oh, yeah. you showed up at the exact wrong time for this to work out right, correctly. Right, right. And after a while, that got really frustrating to me here, because I feel like the main crux of the movie was them falling in love over that like wedding planning stretch. Right. And once that was over, there really wasn't much left for the movie to do, and it's, it just sort of like delayed right. the inevitable. It is very like, oof, like, I don't know. It just it gets me like really pumped, because it's like, you know, Robbie is trying to tell Julia he loves her, and he catches her like looking happy with her wedding dress in the mirror of her home. He's basically creeping on her. But um, she's really, like, saying, like, I'm Mrs. Robbie Hard, like, because she wants to marry him. Because she can't say I'm Mrs. Julia Gulia without right. weeping. <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes to find him, and his ex, like, girlfriend or fiancé answers the door in his Van Halen t-shirt in her underwear. And so she gets really pissed off, and then she, like, is, like, Glenn, let's go get married now, Las Vegas, let's do this. And then he finds out, and then chases her. I don't know, it was just kind of, like, delaying, like, the inevitable, like... Yeah. There could have been something else there, but, I mean, with a rom-com, you kind of have to expect the kind of genre trope to show up, which is why I keep framing the movie in that context. Like, I think it works really well Mm -hmm. as that type of movie. My other complaint might be a little bit of what happens to Alexis Arquette in the film, she plays this sort of like George, boy George impersonator, and there's like more like awkward trans humor there as well. Really? I think so. Like when she sings Karma Chameleon, and she just no, gets, it's Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? That's the one. I'm sorry. As the only song that he knows. Yeah, and she she gets <laughs> booed every time she sings it because it's an awkward song, and she sings it twice in a row. I don't know. That's what, I guess I looked at the it like audience that immediately way. turns on her before she even gets to the second repetition. I guess so. They're already like. I guess it's that the, like, trans humor yeah. is, like, so constant throughout these movies yeah. that, like, I don't trust it at all in this context. I guess I never looked at it in that way. And then there's a the part where they're eating wedding cake, and it goes to, like, George, but I think it's more so, like, his teeth were yellow, and he looked crazy as shit. Yeah. And the joke's kind of... I, I the, guess I didn't see it as that, but She's, I guess like, the butt of the can. joke, often... Which, whatever, like, this is probably one of the better roles she ever got while she was alive. Uh, oh, totally. But it, Well, there is the part where she tries on Julia's wedding dress. That, that is really cute. And it's really sweet. And that's the one that she picks. And I struggle with this same um, dealing with queer issues later in another movie we're going to talk about. Where it's like, I could give this movie the benefit of the doubt, but, like, Adam Sandler's proven himself, like, bad on these issues so many times that I have no reason to. Gotcha. But... Overall, I don't want to sound negative on this movie because no, I really enjoyed it. It's a great film. I think the uh, production design, particularly, like it looks like candy. The blues and the pinks. Yes. And stuff. Yeah. It yeah. reminded me a lot of uh, "But I'm a Cheerleader." You know, like yeah. individual rooms are all monochromatic. Like it's either like bright baby blue or like intense fuchsia pink, and like you just kind of have to like let your eyes get seared by how it looks. I really like that stuff. Nice. And the main romance is really cute. The '80s music's really great. Uh huh. I, I like the movie a lot. I, this is like in the half that I thought was really good. Which means that the last two movies we're going to talk about, um, I did not enjoy. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. we'll see how that goes. 
So the wedding singer seemed like early sign that Adam Sandler actually had some like decent dramatic performances in him, mm-hmm. and if he was serious and sort of tempered down his like most annoying impulses, like he could be like a real actor. It's like interesting because he's not a very handsome man. He actually looks like one of my like cousins. Oh yeah, who was actually having a wedding. Oh yeah. <laughs> so will she be the wedding singer? So I don't know. Like he just ne- like it's weird to like connect with like someone in this like romantic or dramatic setting that kind of just looks like this doofus. So that's it's kind of difficult, but he he pulls it off. It's weird. Uh, would you say that uh, his next movie, The Water Boy from 1998, where he plays a Cajun doofus, <laughs> is a little more befitting of his looks? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I think this like did him his mouth very well, like the way his mouth is set. So, and this is, what, 1998, Waterboy. Being from the bayou and being Cajun, like, when this came out, a lot of people were pissed off. But I was a dumb kid and I thought it was funny as shit. <laughs> and I still think it's kind of funny. And, like, people will rag on it. But let me tell you that, like, Kathy Bates in this film is my mom. To, like, a T. Before I shit on this movie, which I will do, because mm-hmm. he does the same shit that annoys me so much in Little Nicky here, where he makes a really terrible choice in, like, how he's going to do his voice <laughs> the whole film, and then you have to, like, live with it. Yes, good for you. Kathy Bates <laughs> in Waterboy is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love her, and I love Feruza Balk in this film. A yes. lot. Yeah, Both of them. they're great. They're- Kathy Bates is so fucking funny in here. The funniest bit in this entire film to me... Is Kathy Bates in her sleep muttering, the devil, the devil, the devil, <laughs> All the devil. <laughs> the, her devil-like scenes where he has a flashback and everything turns black and white. Mama, did Ben Franklin invent electricity? I invented electricity! Ben Franklin is a devil! <laughs> yeah, her obsession with what is and what is not the devil, which is everything is the devil. Everything's the devil except for her because she's like wants to keep her son to herself. So she scares the shit out of him. And I think she gets Louisiana um, Cajun culture pretty down in just even her wardrobe. Like yeah. she wears these really bright Caribbean like wooded necklaces and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, these like bright, bright like red and green clashing colors. Those are complimentary colors, but I guess the tones of them are, like, blinding, though. Right. Uh, it's just kind of like a hodgepodge, which is pretty accurate as, like, Cajun women just, like, wear whatever, because whatever. gives a shit. Yeah, and there's, like, a Caribbean tint to it, which I feel like a lot of, you know, Hollywood people coming down here to make movies about Louisiana sort of miss the fact that we're actually, like, as much as we're, like, the south of the United States, mm-hmm. uh, we're also just as much, like, the north of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Like, that influence is very strong here. Hmm. I feel like a lot of movies miss that. Interesting. Uh, so I like that in her wardrobe a lot. Yeah. And just her personality was, like, really boisterous, and she does play sort of a villainous character for the first two-thirds of the film, but, like... She's just an overprotective mother She's at the so end. funny. Yeah, she's fabulous. In a way, this movie's, like, a repeat of Happy Gilmore, right? But... You see, I think this is like ten times funnier than Happy Gilmore. Well, plot-wise, they're the same. He like sports, is a uh, what do you call that? Like a novice, like a idiot savant who is right. really good at a sport he's never played before because he's learned to channel his anger it's, issues. Right, right. No, you're oh, you're so right. Uh, and in this case, this is a water boy for a college football team. I believe they're probably making fun of Nickel State, which my dad went to and called Harvard on the Bayou. That's what, yeah. Okay, is that where the movie's set? No, but you can I, tell. I'm assuming, but the thing is, is like people on the Bayou don't talk like that. That's like, there's two types of Cajuns. There's Cajuns on Bayou Lafourche, where I'm from, and there's Cajuns in New Iberia and Lafayette. 
And I looked at that as being more like Lafayette and New Iberia. Like, I look at that as being like, what is it, ULL? That's how I looked at it. Yeah. With the mud dogs. And then my family is just Lanyos, which is like this whole other thing, which is like Spanish influence. Like, dope. Yeah, it's really weird. That's cool. Yeah, there's like a whole mix of like people who've been here a long ass time. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know how to call that. It's not quite indigenous, but it's like a different, like. People of the land. Yeah, there you go. I get what you're saying. Right. But yeah, so it's like, I feel like the, the Cajuns that they. Talk more. It's more the um, Acadia kind of that more northern Cajun feel because it has more of like a twang to it. Like if you come on Bayou Lafourche where I'm from, like nobody talks like that. Like there's like the fast talking and like the moms that will like kill people that fuck with their kids kind of vibe, but not like you know nobody goes around with a fucking straw hat and overalls. Like no one wears overalls. And I I have to suspect that's why people were pissed is because it looks like a. 1920s caricature of like poor right. dumb southerners right. with like really thick accents. There's and a- people do drive on their lawnmowers though. I'll give them that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you get a DUI, you just get your lawnmower and have a good time. You ever seen that Disney movie that David Lynch directed where the guy rides a lawnmower the whole time? No. It's called The Street Story. No. I've never seen it either. Whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm curious Sounds about great. it. Yeah. So, I mean, get, the older I got, like people would you know, would make jokes and stuff like that when they, like, oh, where are you from? Like, when I moved here to New Orleans, like, people would make, like, you know, water boy jokes and stuff like that and stuff. And I'm like, it's not like that on the bayou. Like, I don't have, like, a pet alligator. And, I mean, I'm not an idiot, you know. What do you think of Feruza Balk's accent and character in the movie? Amazing. I love her, yeah. She was just, like, this I mean, badass, I, like, Cajun witch. I'm from bitch. down the road past Chalmette, and she seemed pretty accurate to that to like me. Like a Chalmation? yeah. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> yes, he can, except for you. So she's really... Oh, also, um, we're forgetting about probably my favorite character in this film, Henry Winkler. Who plays the uh, football coach. Uh, <laughs> who learns to harness his like anger issues and transform him into a water boy into like a serious football he player. He is so funny in here. Like, There's this part where they're cooking a snake. And they invite him over for dinner. And when he's leaving, like, because Bobby wants to play football. And his mom's very anti-everything. Everything's Satan. And whenever she goes to bed, he walks the coach out. And he's like, what mama won't know won't hurt her. And he pulls his pants down. He has a tattoo of Roy Orbison on his ass. (laughs) It's so funny. Yeah, like, the transformation of the water boy, Bobby Boucher... Mm-hmm. Who I've heard name dropped in rap songs from like Kanye West and stuff. Oh, interesting. Pretty funny. Although Kanye West has become problematic <laughs> recently as well. Uh, oh my god, I know. He's dead yeah, <laughs> at this yeah, point. Like, right. he has nothing left. He's in the sunken place. <laughs> right. Uh, his transformation from like this mama's boy who's like scared to experience the totality of life mm-hmm. uh, because his daddy once went to the big city and dehydrated. In the desert or something. Right. Some, like, convoluted backstory. He was in the Peace Corps. Yeah, and sure. And he got, he went to the Sahara <laughs> Desert, or there's, I don't even think the Peace Corps goes to the Sahara. Um, but you have all these people bullying yeah. him, and including his mom, even though she's doing it sweetly, she's sort of bullying him into not living his right. full life. And then Henry Winkler sort of brings him out of a shell. And I think right. his low moment before that is that his favorite pro wrestler, uh, played by The Big Show... Uh, Captain Insano in this film uh, makes fun of him live on the air and that's when it's he realizes really like sad. he's hit rock bottom it's very funny when he laughs though because he starts to cry and the camera zooms in on Captain Insano's tears 
and it's very great. I can agree with everything you're saying, except I couldn't get over the hurdle that I think ruined Little Nicky for me as well. It's just the voice he's doing the in this movie. speech impediment? Yeah. I can't tell if he's supposed to be mentally impaired. Is he a moron? Is it like... I think they try to make him seem like simple. It's not funny. Which isn't funny, but I think... I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. Because I can't see it in the sense of like he's a mama's boy. So he's very childish in his mannerisms and the way he speaks. So maybe instead of like just softly talking, Adam Sandler can't do that. So he like makes it into something else. That's what I think, maybe. All I know is that it feels wrong. <laughs> like, it's not funny. I know. It's, like, awkward, and then the awkwardness just sort of persists through the it's whole film. It's kind of like this mean boy humor, like, yeah. that bullies would laugh at in school. Do you like... know, um, you used to watch Strangers with Candy, right? Yeah. It's one of my favorite TV shows, but there's an episode where someone makes a joke about, like, some kind of country bumpkin type character, and then mm-hmm. she goes, poor southerners are hilarious. Like, she's really pointing out that trope. I know, like... And that line was running through my head through most of this. And to me, the movie felt more like Florida than Louisiana, which I had to interrogate myself, like, am I just more willing to, like, make fun of Florida? But, like, the Mud Dogs colors were even, like, Florida State's colors, and... I don't know why, it just felt, like, not here. Like, it felt like... Because it doesn't look like that here. It might have fucking been filmed in Florida, for all we know. Right. It's just kind of, like, a a dumb idea, Louisiana. But, I mean, it's a stupid movie, and they were probably just trying to make it as stupid as possible. Because this was a character on Saturday Night Live. Was it? Yeah, where he would... I don't know if he talked like that, but he would wear, like... He was a Cajun guy with, like, plaid and overalls and a... Which is what, like... 19th century Cajuns would dress like which is very bizarre right but he would dress up like that there was like yeah there's shit there's shit people on the internet even, about it do people even do that for career de Mardi Gras like when they like you know where they go like out in the uh oh and try to catch like the chicken the pigs and the chickens and stuff um no exactly they just like dress in big costumes yeah the confetti like, costumes color. Yeah, yeah like yeah. confetti like looks yeah. like um paper mache shit so really this is like a dead trope that probably even in the 30s when it was like more popular Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't even that accurate then. Right. So, I mean, I get, I get like, some of the humor and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like I laugh a lot. Like, the, like, like we were saying before, the Kathy Bates, like, parts are very funny to me. I will say the side characters, you know, Kathy they Bates, Henry Winkler, Feruza Balk, those are way funnier than whatever Adam Sandler's doing in this film. I think that his facial expressions are funny. Like, the way that he, like, pokes his chin out and he, like, makes his, like, mouth go up. And then also they have the uh, CGI effect of like mentally replacing heads. Uh, whenever he gets angry, oh. he sees people bullying him. And those are funny. I think like, those are funny. Like the big baby one yeah. is very funny. Um, the Gatorade taunting with Henry Winkler. It smells like you can use a shower, stinky. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what that inspires in me and like why I like that is it recalls back to the... Uh, Sort of anything goes absurdism of like the Billy, Billy Madison. Madison humor. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's more Billy Madison humor in The Water Boy than in Happy Gilmore. Right. But, but it's the, still not as it's as stupid funny. The problem is though that he's committed to one bit the whole film, mm-hmm. where Billy Madison would make a stupid voice, and then that voice would be over, and you'd be onto the next three stupid voices before you even got tired of it. Do you think it's funny when he does like the? And rams people. No, like, it's wow, sounds that was so funny. Uncomfortably like. Something someone with like a mental issue would make. You know what I mean? Like, I'm such an asshole. I think that like Adam Sandler films made me realize I'm a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, it's getting very like real. (laughs) 
I mean, I do want to note that if I I did see this movie in the late '90s, and I thought it was funny at the time. Yeah, I remember it was. Um, I used to get Nickelodeon magazine, and this was on the Kids Choice Awards for best film. And you would get your own ballot, and you could mark what you wanted, and then you watch the award show, and you would like circle what you guessed. And I remember I picked like all Waterboy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say I didn't like this movie. Okay. I didn't like Little Nicky. But those are both on this like absurdist bent okay. that I enjoy. I think maybe both of them are like these kind of grab bags where like individually, that joke worked for me. That joke not so much. Right. The last movie on our list, Big Daddy from 1999. I didn't like this movie, and I think it's the worst one we watched today. Really? I, di- I like strongly disliked. This. I say that like I like this one more than Happy Gilmore, and but they're both in the bottom for me. But I, I think this one. It made me cry. I think that's why, like, I can't hate it. Like, there were a couple parts that I got very emotional for. But there's a lot of, like, kind of um, shit attitude towards women in here. Oh, I hate that. Like, there's a lot of Hooters jokes. I'm so glad that you had a problem with that. Because I actually got in an argument with someone on the internet about it. They were like, oh, this is one of his sweeter movies. I was like, this movie hates women. Yeah, it's very, um, like, he makes a comment towards, what's her name? Leslie Leslie Mann. Leslie Mann, like, oh, is that a toddler shirt? Your nipples are going to get hard. You better leave, you witch. She's a doctor who paid for her medical school by working at Hooters. And he thinks it's funny to continually point out that what she did to pay for it, which... It's a very mild, innocent version of sex work. At best. Like, it, it's basically just a waitress job in a tight outfit. Right. Totally. But he thinks it's so funny to keep making fun of her for that. And I think the product placement in here was very... There's a lot of Hooters. It's kind of weird, because he's both shaming her for working at Hooters and promoting Hoomers Ho- yeah. for shaming women. Because, like, at the end, there's a party for him at Hooters. Where, where he they gets have chicken wings and... It's, it's just very weird. And he gets in one last joke where he gets to make fun of his ex-girlfriend one more time for being a nagging bitch. Right. And like all women in this movie, except for the one that he wants to fuck, all women right. in this movie are like these nags that like get in the way of you watching your hockey game. He's just like this bum piece of shit that these women are like not wasting their time with. So he just like demonizes them. And I think that's what aggravates me about this movie is that it's like the anti-Billy Madison. In Billy mm-hmm. Madison... He is this privileged prick who lives off his, like, father's wealth. And the movie knows that he's a brat. And, right. like, sort of, like, looks down on him. And Big Daddy, he's this, like, overgrown man baby. Uh-huh. And you're supposed to identify with him. You're like, oh, yeah, that's just, like, my life. And I don't find it cute or charming. So what I thought about, like, I mean, I'm not... I don't think I'm a piece of shit. And I don't, like, hate on people like he did in this film, but if I ever had a kid, I think I would be a lot like how Adam Sandler is towards Julian in this movie. The uh, little kid is played by... Uh, <laughs> the Sprouse Boys! Yeah. One of them is on Riverdale as Jughead yeah, right now. Cole Sprouse. <laughs> yeah. The other one just has, like, really long hair now. And, and a good Twitter. Yeah. Great Twitter. <laughs> I think there were also, what, Zach and Cody something? Sweet Life. There you go. And Sweet Life on deck. <laughs> oh wait, there are two shows. Mm-hmm. One wow. was on a cruise ship. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they play a small child that shows up on Adam Sandler's doorstep mm-hmm. after a very blatant montage where you get introduced to this character. Like, won't you ever grow up? You're such a slacker. 
Here's uh, a kid. <laughs> yeah, he grows up by adopting this child that's not his. And he shows them how to, like, pee on buildings and, like, trip people when they're roller skating. He takes them to a bar. <laughs> Uh, basically teaches him how to be like a bachelor loser like he is. Right. And he continually makes fun of Leslie Mann's character, who in real life Leslie Mann is married to Judd Apatow. Right. And continually plays these kinds of like underserved characters. I remember watching Blockers earlier this year where I was like, wow, Leslie Mann has something to do for once. Like, she's always yeah. good, but she's always like... The Just butt like of a the side, yeah, yeah, she's fabulous. And Blockers, she gets a lot of like screen time, oh, which is good. really cool. I really like her. But here, her connection to Judd Apatow becomes very like apparent because this feels like an early Apatow production. Like it feels like Knocked Up or mm-hmm. uh, you know all these like man baby comedies. Yeah, where you're supposed to identify with this guy who just refuses to become an adult. Right, and it's not charming. <laughs> it like the only part is like at the end so I don't know if like we want to go over like what the movie is about but kid gets on his doorstep and then raises the kid and then kid gets taken away by CPS and he tries to get the kid back and there's a scene where he tries to get him back because he learns to love this kid and that whole court scene just like brought me to tears because like the little boy is like really sad about like not being able to go home with him and cause he like loves him. They made this like connection and oh, that was like really heart wrenching. It is like more Hallmark channel than Freddie got fingered. Yes. Like there's some absurdist touches like the uh, drunk in the bar or like Steve Buscemi plays this like hobo who wants McDonald's breakfast. Speaking of like ad placement. (laughs) Uh, and then the Scuba Steve stuff's kind of cute. Yeah. Has, you know, where Adam Sandler dresses up the Scuba Steve. I think the sweetest thing is he makes up this thing about his sunglasses, where he, like, the kid feels uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And anytime the kid puts on the sunglasses, he's invisible to the world. Right. Like, that's a genuinely sweet exchange between him and the kid. Right. And the kid, like, is, like, the most adorable kid ever, too. But sometimes that, like, hallmarkness becomes, like, really disgusting. Like, where he, the kid gets taken away from him, and he's, like, walking alone to Everlast. You don't, but it's like, I have the blue. That's the song. Yeah. Or, like, uh, he's doing, like, law research to Sweet Child of Mine, fucking Cheryl Crow cover. Yeah. It's pretty awful. But, to me, this is like, okay, he proved in The Wedding Singer that he had some sort of, like, dramatic chops, you know? And here he is using it for evil. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not cute. This like sort of Gen X apathy where he's like doesn't care about life and like women are nags and he just wants to watch the hockey game in his underwear. Right. Like it's kind of disgusting on a man. <laughs> and in the his whole 30s. like reason he has money is like he got his foot rolled over like years ago and had a two hundred thousand dollar settlement. So he like acts like he's still handicapped and like uses that as an excuse. He's just like I mean, the definition of like a piece of shit person in here and he calls uh leslie man big boobs mcgee every time he sees her which is supposed to be funny to us it's so hard it's to watch funny. all those scenes like where he just shits on her and he uh <laughs> shames his ex-girlfriend for having sex with people that she that he finds disgusting right it's kind of fitting that this is his last leading man role before the happy madison yeah. era like you can kind of feel like his bit in Billy Madison where he's like an overgrown child is sort of starting to spoil. And then he leaves the mm-hmm. studio system and forms his own production company where he can just live out that juvenile fantasy forever. Is that why he made Grown Ups? <laughs> like, I think it's on the same vein. He can't like get away from being a man child. I've never seen Grown Ups, but I have to assume it's on the same sort of tip. It's like okay. 
I didn't laugh, but I enjoyed it. I mean, someone's got to keep giving Rob Schneider work, you know? I know. God, he's, <laughs> he's fabulous. Is he, though? <laughs> I don't know. I really like him in um, Home Alone, too. Oh, yeah. He plays like a bellboy. As bell the boy. bellhop. I think that's probably my favorite Rob Schneider role. So maybe I don't like him that much. Oh, what's the one where he turns into a girl? The hot chick? The hot chick. Yeah. I can't imagine that it's aged well. I never watched that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it'd be really hard to watch. They had that in Sorority Boys around the same time. It was on a similar vibe. Oh, I forgot about that movie. Uh, which might as well have been Happy Madison, even if it wasn't. Like, who yeah, it was made very... That? But I, I had like a pretty generic experience with this whole Adam Sandler thing. Okay. It's like the Law of Diminishing Returns. And I watched them in backwards order, sort oh. of, because I knew that I was going to not like the later ones as much. But it seemed to me like the really strong stuff that I found like absurdist humor in that I really liked was like Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. I liked those movies. Wedding Singer was still enjoyable. And then it sort of crosses the threshold and sort of gets older and older. But even at the end of it, only liking half of the movies we watched today, I... Mm-hmm think there's more room for discussion here yeah i think at least we should maybe go back sometime soon and watch his dramatic roles there's actually the first movie he did i think it's called going overboard Mm -hmm. and it was like a 1989 or 1990 movie where he's a comedian on a cruise ship i'm so glad that we didn't get into that because that has to be the worst movie like you can't get through five minutes of that without wanting to like pull your eyeballs out well now i gotta watch it no it is it is like it's not funny it doesn't make sense. Ugh, it's so bad. So I think going from that to like Billy Madison, like something awesome happened to him. <laughs> Maybe more Saturday Night Live. Experience. I think he had more con- creative control with Billy Madison. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point because like that movie is like everything anti Adam Sandler. The first one. Uh, going overboard looks a lot like uh, the Chris Elliott movie Cabin Boy, hmm. which is another like man child over the top comedy as well. And there were a bunch of other comedies that we didn't even touch. Uh, we mostly tried to do the leading man. Like, this is an Adam Sandler movie one. Right. I think these are the ones where when you think of Adam Sandler, you think of these movies. Like, or, or at least I do. Like, when someone's like, Adam Sandler, I automatically go, okay, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Water... I don't think of, like, Grown Ups or, you know, Spangler. I don't think about that kind of and stuff. And I would even say maybe Wedding Singer is kind of an anomaly in this era. Like, I don't think of it as an Adam Sandler movie. Mm-hmm. Like. It has a few touches that feel very much like an Adam Sandler movie, but for the most part, it feels like this whole separate yeah. rom-com, serious actor format that he would it later It just kind of shares some of his like grittiness, like when he yells at people, like, you suck, you suck, and that kind of There is a moment where he like invents grunge. He sings that song, it's like, won't somebody Woo! kill me, please? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm on my knees, pity, pity, please, kill me. <laughs> yeah. You ever see Funny People? No, I haven't. He has a similar piano ballad in that movie where you like... Oh. I think Leslie Mann's in the movie, too. Oh. We should delve further into this. But okay. I think today we've done enough. Yeah, no. Uh, a lot of Adam Sandler. Yeah, but we'll we'll return to the subject pretty soon, which is something I didn't expect to say at the beginning of this. I thought I'd be so <laughs> exhausted that I was, like, done yeah. with him. What if we start liking all his Netflix stuff? I don't see that happening. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I might. I don't know. But uh, I promise next episode we're not going to do a 90s movies topic we're gonna do something current we're closing it out with we're gonna Adam do Sandler. 2000s and 2010s current cinema oh yeah and uh it'll be something that's in the theaters we'll figure out a way to do that <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll return to adam sandler and ruin the whole thing <laughs> <laughs>
We'll see you all in a couple weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye.